All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Welcome, guys. Everybody else who's watching online, whether you're a Faith Church family or whether you're a visitor, we want you to know, man, we're so glad that you decided to be a part of today's service. And it's our hope and desire. Come on. We say it every week. We believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. So whoever you are, wherever you're watching from, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, come on, we believe that if you'll open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. How many people already know that's true? Come on, make some noise for the goodness of God. Come on, and His grace. Well, listen, let me ask a question right out of the gate. How many people here in our locations watching online, how many of you love music? Wave at me. Come on, I mean, there should be no hand that's still down. Everybody loves music. Now, you may not like all kinds of music, but, right, there's all kinds of genre, whether you like hip-hop or country or classical or classic rock, wherever you're at, everybody loves music, right? And the, one of the reasons we love music, we love to sing it. We love to set atmospheres to music, right? Think about sometimes when you play music. Sometimes it's not just singing it, but sometimes we set an atmosphere for working out Come on, it's just a fact. You can, you can lift more weight and run faster if you got the right song. How many people know that? I mean, you just burn more calories to the right song, right? It sets an atmosphere for a romantic night with your spouse or your significant other. I'm just, I'm just saying that the chances increase, y'all tracking with me. You just, if you just have the right, it just sets an atmosphere. It sets an atmosphere if you're having a party or a get-together. The right music in the background just sets an atmosphere. There's something powerful and profound about music. Hollywood and movie makers have figured this out. That's why when you watch some of your favorite movies, like it's not just silence in the background. It's not just dialogue. It's not just people talking. In fact, most times you will always find music in the background, especially during some of the most significant moments in the movie because music helps set that atmosphere. In fact, I want to play some of the scores, some of the most favorite uh, some of the most famous songs that have been played with some music. And when you know and recognize the song or the movie that's being played by the song, I want you to shout it out. Let's play these real quick. If you love Jesus, you can't say because we're in church. Come on, what is it? Halloween, right? This just freaks you out. You start looking for Michael Myers. Here we go. Shaft. Come on, where's the Shaft people at? It's a great movie. Here we go. Here we go. Hi, people are literally getting out of the water in your mind. Like, this movie and this song disrupted the beach, like, market for years. This song will freak you out. Here we go. What is it? Woo! High people's ready for season four. Stranger Things. Great show on Netflix if you've not watched it if you're 100. All the brachiosaurs stepping in the scene. Jurassic Park. I mean, just, come on, just the music just inspires you and fills you with awe. Here's one. What is it? Indiana Jones and Raiders. I mean, it's right, you're just filled with adventure just listening to that score. It moves you. Here's one. You'll note it on the first key. One of the greatest of all time. Come on, what is it? Star Wars. Whew. I get misty thinking about it. 
So here's what I want you to think about. Again, we, we quickly recognize all of those songs and they, they do something to us. They draw us in, they stir our emotions. But think about maybe what your favorite movie would be like without the score. I mean, the movie's still there, the action's still happening, but without the music in the background, it doesn't carry as well. In fact, I want to play a scene, and what we've done is we've taken the score and we've pulled it in and out of the movie, and you'll see, in my estimation, how it's impacted and affected one of the greatest movie scenes of all time with one of the most inspiring movie scores of all time. Check this out. changes it doesn't it there it is all of a sudden you can run faster beat up everybody hey hey Adrian Thanks, This is the best part, watch this. So again, there's something powerful and there's something profound about the music, why? Because something happens when we listen and we engage in music. Music is more than physical. The way our hearing works, the way our auditory functions happen is sound waves go into our ears and these little bones in your ears capture the vibrations and transmit a signal to your brain that you hear is sound. But that's not what's happening when we watch these movies and we engage in these songs. Something is happening on a soul level. That's why you cry, and that's why you feel fear, and that's why you're inspired to do something. It's because this music is moving you on a soul level. But I don't want to talk about all that today. I'm really, that's just the setup, because I want to talk about worship. Because while a lot of music is, it's all physical, a lot of it is emotional, or it moves our soul. Worship, worship is more than music, and it's more than a mood. Worship is spiritual. Everybody say spiritual. Spiritual. Worship is spiritual. Now, we've been in this series. If you're new to church, the word spiritual might freak you out a little bit. I would encourage all of you, Lawrenceburg, Shoals, all of you to go back and maybe watch this series. But the conversation we've been having in this series entitled Things That Go Bump is this idea that there there is an invisible world that impacts this visible world. That you may not be able to see it and taste it and touch it and feel it, But that doesn't mean it's not real. Ultimately, what we found out through this series is that God is a spirit, which means God doesn't doesn't operate in this natural. You can't see God or hear God with your physical ears, right? But there is this spiritual realm that's always been, and it was out of this spiritual realm. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. That God spoke this physical realm. Your school, your workplace, the houses you live in, that God spoke this physical realm into being from the spiritual realm. And we've been saying this, that the spiritual realm is more important because the spiritual realm was here before this physical realm and will be here long after this physical realm is gone. You will exist somewhere for eternity in this spiritual realm. 
And so the conversation is, and what we found out is, ultimately we found out that in this spiritual realm is, is God and angels. I got one on the front row. You're, you're really here, right? I'll make sure God didn't send an angel to help me out. There's God and there's angels. There really is, there really is a devil. There really are demons. And while that might freak you out, I want you to know that Jesus taught very clearly that there is a spiritual realm where you have a real spiritual enemy. The devil is not an allegory for evil. He is a real person. He has, he has real troops in his fight, and his fight is against you. And he's waging war against you. But what we talked about last week was that in our fight, we have help. God has sent us the Holy Spirit who is our helper, that he lives with you and he's in you, which means you don't have to fight alone and you don't have to depend on your own strength. Come on, is anybody thankful for the helper, the Holy Spirit who's with all of us? But I want you to think about this for a second. While Jesus said this in John 10, 10, Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. So both of those people have plans for you. Jesus articulates it really well that the enemy, the devil, has a plan to destroy your life through deception and through discouragement, through all means at his disposal. He wants to pull you away from your creator. He wants to disconnect you from the source of life. But Jesus has a plan, and his plan is to give you life and life to the full, to figure out what it means to live life connected to your creator, to live out your God-given purpose. Now, here's what's crazy is you're not just a victim to the enemy and you're not just a volunteer to the Holy Spirit. All of us in this room, we have to decide. We have to be an active participant. The Holy Spirit is our helper, but he helps us do something. The enemy has a plan, but you, he can't just show up in your life and do it without some level your permission, whether you're aware of it or not. And so spiritual plans require natural participation. You have to decide whether to participate in what the enemy wants to do in your life or you decide whether you want to participate in what God wants to do in your life. But at the end of the day, we choose. What that means is, is this spiritual realm we've been talking about, this idea of this invisible world that's real, it doesn't just intersect with us. What I want you to hear today is you get to intersect with it. You get to choose as a person how to interact and how to intersect with this spiritual realm. What I want to do today is I want to talk about this idea of how, again, worship is spiritual. What I mean is that something, again, is happening in this spiritual realm. Why we're singing here on planet Earth, like there is something happening in this spiritual realm. I want you to listen. We've been talking about Ephesians chapter 6. Here's what Paul says about this spiritual realm and about this spiritual battle. He says, Ephesians 6, 11, come on, read it together, everybody. He said, put on all of God's armor so you may, able, you may be able to stand firm. Everybody say those two words. Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. He goes on, verse 17, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. So he's saying this, he's saying, so again, the devil has strategies. You need to be aware of it. In your job, what God requires of you, what we should require of each other is that we stand firm, which means we don't lose ground. I'm not going back to my old life. I'm not going back to my old habits. I'm not going back to a relationship without Jesus. I want to stand my ground on who God's called me, created me, and saved me to be. Come on, is anybody with me? So he tells us, he says, so you got, you got, some, you got some weapons in your warfare. 
And I want you to notice, and I don't want to dig too deep in these two, but they're important. First of all, he says, part of your battle strategy, part of the way you fight your battle is with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible is more than a book. It's more than another New York bestseller. It is the living Word of God that when you read it, it reads you. When you engage with it, it engages with you. God's Word is a light to our path. It gives us wisdom, direction. It inspires us. It informs us. It's revelation. It grows us. Jesus said, listen, man or people, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which means it's your spiritual food. Come on, it's what empowers us and strengthens us for the fight we're in. Come on, you got to read your Bible. If you're here, you're watching all night, like, Pastor, the Bible is such a daunting book. I would encourage you two things. Number one, everybody starts somewhere. Number one, get a translation you can read. We use the New Living Translation. If you've not read the Bible, don't read the Bible. Don't read King James. I don't care what anybody tells you, because you don't speak King James. So don't, you don't read Russian, so don't read a Russian Bible. Get a Bible you can understand, New, New Living Translation, NLT. And number two, start somewhere. Don't start in the Old Testament. You'll give up quick. Read the book of Mark in the New Testament. It's the life of Jesus. You'll start to lean into who he was and what he taught. And you'll start thinking, and I'm telling you, God will just start changing you as you engage in his work. So he says, first of all, he says, one of the ways you fight your battle in this spiritual realm, the way you overcome is the sword of the spirit. Number two, he says that one of the ways we fight this fight is by praying in the spirit. I want you to know something. When you're praying, you're not just talking to the wind and you're not just using words that like people around you may or may not hear depending on how loud you talk out when you pray because some of you are Pentecostal and you're real loud and some of you are Methodist and you're real quiet. You are, you are having a conversation with your creator. And listen to me, you can't engage with your creator without him changing you, inspiring you, growing you, come on and doing something radical in and through you. And that is a weapon in your warfare, prayer. Start your day with prayer. If you can't pray long, pray often. But here's what I want to lean into, is I want you to know that there is another weapon that we can use in our spiritual battle. What I want you to hear today is that worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. Everybody say that. Worship is a weapon. Now, see, a lot of us in churches in Lawrenceburg, sitting in that living room for our Shoals campus, a lot of us, we don't see worship as a weapon. In fact, for a lot of us, worship is just the chorus at church. Worship is the pre-show. Worship is the thing we tolerate until we get to the good stuff. Worship isn't the opening act. Worship opens your heart. And so what we need to do is we need to show up ready to worship because worship is a weapon and God can use worship in your battle with the enemy. You won't get victory until you worship. Some of you won't see the breakthrough until you worship because God designed us to be people who worship. Here's what, listen to this, listen to what David said. He said this, because this, this is our struggle, right? A lot of us, here's our mentality of worship. Well, I don't like to worship. Worshiping is not in my personality. I'm not, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, I'm not an extrovert. Well, newsflash, worship's not about you. Worship's about him. It's not about how you feel. It's about who he is. It's not about what you did this morning. It's about what he's done in eternity. Come on, worship's about him. So David said this, let everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Now, everybody do this. Hold your hand out in front of your face. Breathe in and blow on your hand. If you didn't feel anything just now, raise your hand. We have medical staff <laughs> that will help you. How many people felt some wind on your hand when you did that? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
If you have breath, you ought to praise the Lord because it's the Lord who gave you the breath to blow. Now, I get it. I've been where some of you are at. There is this natural evolution to learning to worship. And I understand some of you are introverts and some of you maybe are new to church and, you know, when you walk in a new environment, it is uncomfortable. Trying to figure out what do we do, what's the timing. You don't want to feel like you're out of place. And so here's kind of the natural evolution to worship that all of us experience. And what I want you to hear is, at least from my perspective, there's kind of five steps and it's my goal, my passion. I believe God's heart to get you to level five fast. Level one is screen watching. You know the screen watchers. The worship band gets up, hits the first key. We go in, we're singing songs, and y'all are like, <laughs> just watching screens. Now, you ask somebody, what are you doing? You might say worshiping, but listen, when you sit down and eat a meal, if you ain't got a fork in your hand scooping food in your mouth, you're just looking at food you ain't eating. Some of you are just screen watchers. You're not worshipers. And we move, and I was there. I was a screen watcher one time. And we go from watching screens to saying words. Like there's just words and we, we don't want to feel out of place and so we just kind of say the words along. We're not really paying attention. We're not engaging. And once you go from watching screens to saying words, then we go to this next level. The next natural evolutionary step is we go to singing lyrics. Like we start to feel something. We, li we like that beat. We like that. So we will sing along with the songs. But here's really at least what we need to get to is where we go from watching screens to saying words to singing lyrics to ultimately we get to this place where we recognize we're declaring truths. Like that's just not a song I'm singing. I'm declaring that God is good. I'm declaring that God fights through me. I'm declaring he's great. I'm declaring that he's got, come on, we're making declarations about who he is and what he's done. Come on. But are you ready? Because that's only step four. And some of you are there and you're like, I'm locked in, pastor. I like me some worship. You need to get to level five where it's a weapon you deploy. Where, where I start to worship, worship is a weapon. And when I break out into worship, I'm not just singing to there and I'm not even just singing to God. I'm engaging in this spiritual realm. And it's a weapon that God's given all of us, whether you're a child, whether you are elderly or anywhere in between, whether you've been saved today or you've been saved your whole life. It is for every single one of us a weapon that God wants you to deploy, get past your personality and get into the realm of the spirit and start declaring who God is and you'll see what God can do. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Worship, come on, worship is more than words. Worship is a weapon. Everybody say that worship is a, say it again, worship is a, before we talk about what worship does, let's talk about what it is. How many of you in Florence or Lawrenceburg or Shoals watching online, how many of you have somebody in your life that's worth it? When I say somebody that's worth it, I mean like you work hard, you don't have to work as hard as you do for them, but you love them, they're worth it. You put in extra time, you put little notes in lunch boxes or sticky notes on doors. You make sure you send a text in the middle of the day. You don't have to do it, but you know why you do it? Because they're worth it. Single moms are my heroes. Have multiple kids. Some of you are navigating life, and you're not just working one job, but sometimes two and three jobs, and you just get off a double shift. You don't have time to go home and change, but you race out of work exhausted onto the ball field because your kid's there. And why do you do that? Why do you, you know why? Because, man, that's, that's my kid. They're worth it. We have spouses that are worth it. Come on, have people have kids or a friend or a co- Like, they're just worth it. Like, you'll go above and beyond because they're worth it. 
my wife is worth it. Fell in love. We're, we're, what is today? Today is, uh, today is our anniversary. I asked her to be my girlfriend. Halloween day, 1988. I was a junior, she was a sophomore. And I don't care what you say, I believe in love at first sight because I fell in love with her the moment I seen her, fell in lust with her at least. <laughs> Let's just talk about it. And I just have always tried, and it's not like I gotta really push myself. There's things, even while we were dating still today, that I do for her because she's worth it. Everybody say worth it. She, she still likes today. One of the things that Shauna likes is she likes Coke Ices. And so when I was in college, I was working two jobs. Some days I'd get up early in the morning, go on a construction or go to, go to class. Then I'd leave class, go to a construction site, leave construction site, go to a grocery store. At the end of the day, I needed to go home and study. But sometimes on my way home, I'd slide through Burger King, get a Coke Icy and go out of my way to drop it off for a house and sneak a kiss. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I did it for the kiss. But why would I do that? Why would I? I'm tired. I got other stuff to do. It's out of my, why would I do it? Because she's worth it. She's had a dream ring for years. And finally, God opened an opportunity, gave me a gracious opportunity, and I broke in. Basically, what I'm saying is I might need to borrow some money from some people. <laughs> but I went deep, and I got her her dream ring. We're, we're riding yesterday to a wedding, and she just puts her hand on me. She's like, I can't believe you got this for me. You know why I did it? Because she's worth it. What I want you to hear is, what is worship? Worship comes from this old English word, your worthship. Someone is your worship when you recognize that they're worth it. So what I want you to hear is worship is recognize his worthship, and we recognize it by worship. When you sing to God, what you're doing is you're recognizing that God is worth it. God is worth it as our creator. Why do we clap our hands? Why do we jump? Why do we at least get the chicken wings if we don't go all the way up? Come on. Why do we, why do we shout? Why do we dance? Come on, because he's worth it. It's not about how I feel or how my day went. He's worth it as our creator. He made you. He made you in his image. He called you his child. He adopted you into his family. He's worth it as our savior. He sent his son Jesus to die a horrible death on the cross in our place to take your guilt and my shame and our sin. And the weight of the world was on his shoulder. And so when we worship him, we're worshiping our savior because he's worth it. He's worth it as our strong tower. He's worth it as our healer. He's worth it as our joy. He's worth it as our peace. He's worth it as our heavenly father that we're never alone. Come on, he's worth it. He's worth it. Come on, does anybody here recognize that God's worth it? He's worth it. So that's who God is. We're recognizing in worship. We're recognizing in singing. We're recognizing in all this that God is worth it. And so what I want to do for a few minutes, now that we just have just a basic understanding, what is, what is worship? While worship is accompanied with singing and dancing and instruments and clapping, it's always at least singing. It's always at least singing. What I want to do for a few minutes is I want you to understand today what worship accomplishes, at least one of the things. That it, again, worship is a weapon in your spiritual fight. There's a story I want us to look at. It's found in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. They tell the a biographical sketch of the life of Jesus, all of them in basically telling the story of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. The book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament, picks up where the gospels leave off in the history of Jesus and the beginning of the church. And so when you get to Acts chapter one, Jesus is back from the grave. 
He ascends to heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit. The church is born. And then you see the gospel, this idea, the good news that Jesus came as our Savior. You see the message beginning to spread around the Roman Empire in the first century. And this guy by the name of Peter, one of the key apostles, he takes the gospel, the good news, primarily to the Jewish people. But the good news is this radical Christian killer by the name of Saul has this radical encounter with Christ. So radical, it changes his name. He becomes the Apostle Paul. And he takes the message, not to the Jews, but he takes the message to the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew. All the Jews, Lawrenceburg, Florence, Shoals, raise your hand. If you're here, we're glad you're here. If you're not a Jew, raise your hand. Welcome all the Gentiles. We're glad you're here. So I don't know about you, but I'm thankful the Apostle Paul broke the boundaries of the day to take the good news because Jesus died for the world. Come on, we're here today saved because the Apostle Paul took the gospel outside of this little circle. Come on. Side note, some of you need to quit hoarding the gospel. It's not just for you and your church buddies. It's for everybody. It's for lost people, white people, black people, homosexual people, poor people. The gospel's for all people. Side note. Some of you should have clapped hard. Some of you are like, wait, I didn't see that coming. I thought we were talking about worship. I was all fired up. <laughs> so here's a story we're about to read. Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul, he's going from city to city. He's, he's, he stops and he preaches the gospel. While he's there, he establishes church leaders to build the local church so believers have a place to worship, to learn truth, and to have communion. He gets to this city, and he's not alone. Good news, he's not alone. He's with this guy by the name of Silas. So Paul and Silas end up in this city. And while they're there, something kind of crazy happens. This young girl starts following Paul and Silas, not because they admire them or not because she's looking to figure out how to be a Jesus follower. She's there in a very intentionally disruptive way. Whether you believe it or not, I buy it. What she's doing is this little girl has a spirit, a demonic spirit of divination. If you're into palm readers or fortune tellers or astrologies, it's demonic. If it's telling you something you didn't know, it's because it's demonically inspired. It's forbidden by God's word. And so this little girl, she can prophesy because she has a demonic spirit. And so Paul is so tired of her, he turns around and rebukes this demonic spirit out of her, which sometimes I want to do in a Sunday morning service when your kids are here. Another story. Everybody's got a kid's like... <laughs> And so the city is mad because basically the people who own this little girl, who own this little prophetess girl, this little demonically inspired girl, they lose their income because now she can't tell people their future. And so they want to throw Paul and Silas in jail. And here's where the story picks up. Check this out. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. It says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. They were thrown into prison. And the jailer ordered them to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. And then verse 25, the next two words, everybody say this, around midnight. So I want you to capture the picture of what just happened. So they were taken, number one, they were beaten with wooden rods. So imagine they're beaten, they're bruised, they're bleeding, they're sore. It's not just what they feel, it's where they're at. They're put in prison. And the Bible is careful. The writer of the book of Acts wants us to know that they're not just put in prison 
two things they're put in stocks in the inner prison in stocks they would take prisoners and basically they would stretch you out further than I can stretch out these tight jeans because they'll rip <laughs> where you're just absolutely miserable and uncomfortable you can't lay down you can't sit up they stretch you out in stocks and they're in the inner prison which was the worst place that they put the worst prisoners because through gravity all the other prisoners who defecated and urinated in the prison it all ran down to the inner prison so here you have Paul and Silas who are bruised and beaten physically their location is the inner prison they're in a cesspool and the Bible makes the point and it's about midnight which is a way of God saying it's the darkest moment now there's probably none of here obviously because we're sitting here that we're in an inner prison that we've just been beaten but I would venture to say that many of us this is still our story some of you you're not in a literal prison but some of you are like in a prison you're just in a tough spot in life and you don't know how to get out you're in addiction and you don't have the key you're in a season and you don't know how to get to the other side some of you are just in darkness you're in the season just wondering what's going on you feel lost God where are you at some of you are in this painful place maybe it's emotional pain maybe it's depression maybe it's anxiety see we can relate to the story because we're not there but we've all felt that we've all been in dark season we've all been in tough places we've all been in places where we are bound and we can't get free and here's the question what would you do in a place like that well I know what I typically do what I need to move beyond and what you need to move beyond today is most of us just complain we'll share our story on social media hoping to get some sympathy from the world How's that working for you? What does the Apostle Paul, what, is, what does Silas do in a dark moment, in a damp prison, in a pool of urine when they've been beaten? I just want you to know something. If you want to change the direction of your life, change the declaration of your lips. You can complain about it, or you can unpack the tool of worship, and you can go to war. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does in Silas. Watch this. I love it. Watch. Verse 25, it says, around midnight, say it with me, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I just want you to know, you are on the precipice of a breakthrough moment. If you will open your mouth, if you'll get beyond yourself, and if you'll engage the weapon of worship. Who does this? Well, let's watch their story. Here they are, they're, they're singing hymns to God and they're praying and the other prisoners are listening. FYI, people are paying attention to the spiritual journey you're on. You may be in it alone, but you're not just there and like living it out in a vacuum. People are watching what you say. They're watching where you go on Sunday. Oh, you go to faith. They see the sticker on the back of your car and they want to know, is it real? Is it just a place you go or is it something really life-changing that happens? Watch this, it's better. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly, there's a correlation between the worship and what happens right here. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Come on, somebody. That's what happens through the weapon of worship. What I want you to know today is that some of you, you're in a dark place. You want to know how you get from darkness to light? 
begin to worship. Do you know how you see change break off? Some of you listen to me, I'm thankful for healthcare workers, I'm thankful for social workers, I'm thankful for psychiatrists and psychologists and doctors, I'm thankful for all those things, I co-sign them, I believe they contribute to our mental, physical well-being, but I'm just telling you there is somebody, listen, the devil ain't made a lock that God don't have a key to. Listen, you may have a conversation with a psychiatrist, they might move you so far, but I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart that freedom is found in worship, that you can break chains through worship, that doors open through worship, you can get out of where you're at to the other side through worship. You can get where God wants you to go through worship. Come on, worship is a weapon. Hi, people's ready to sing some worship. Oh, we're going to at the end. Just get ready. We're going to. I want you to miss, this, this is just a little side note, but I think it's important that Paul isn't alone. Paul has Silas and Silas has Paul. The reason I share that is I think out of all the things that many of us have lost during COVID, I know some of you have lost loved ones, and I'm tragically sorry at your loss. And some of us have lost income, and some of us has lost our businesses, and some of us has just lost. Some of us, we're not even sure we lost. We just know we're not the same. I want you to hear this. With no shame, no condemnation, I want you to hear my heart. You can't get your loved one back. Maybe you may not be able to recoup your resources. Your business may never open again. But there is something that we lost in COVID that we can get back, but unfortunately some of us aren't getting it back and it's costing you more than you realize you're paying. And it's the power of community. Before COVID, our church ran about 3,000 on a Sunday. Our church, like many churches, like all churches, like other businesses, people just aren't showing up. The national average for churches right now today in America is that 31% of people in that church have shown back up. Thankfully, God has graced this church, continued to bless this church that we get to be a part of, and we're running about 62%. So we're, we're double ahead of the national average of where churches are at. But on a given Sunday, about 1,700 people are here, which means 1,300 people. Now I get it, some of you are at risk and you're immunocompromised and you're not comfortable coming back, and I don't want you to feel any shame or guilt about that. But I'm gonna tell you, some of you are lazy and distracted. Some of you have replaced your time in the house with things that really, while they're important, you can do them another time. But there is something powerful when you get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, I have sat in front of a TV and tried to worship too, but something profound happens when you go up in the house with a group of other people and you get to lift your voice together in the atmosphere of worship. I just wanna invite some of you just to come back to the house. When I was a young believer, one of the most profound times I had as a new Christian, I felt overwhelmed. I was the only person I knew that loved Jesus. I was the only person trying to walk this thing out, so I thought. And I look forward to Wednesday night youth group when I got to show up with about 150 other kids in worship. Once a year, we would go to the Ohio State Youth Conference, and there was nothing like walking in an auditorium with 6,000 teenagers, and they were singing to the same God I was singing to. They were trusting the same Jesus. I, and all of a sudden, I didn't feel like I was alone. Elijah the prophet almost committed suicide because he thought he was alone. But I want you to know something. You're not in this thing alone. And when you take out the worship, when you pull out that warfare tool and you do it as a community and we do it as a group, I'm telling you something powerful and profound happens in those moments when we get together and we worship. Every single mammal, studies have shown, every single mammal, you're a mammal, by the way, just of the highest order because you're the one created in the image of God. Every single mammal, when you pull them out of community, show signs of depression. Every single one, primates, killer whales, dolphins. Scientists have shown even bees and ants, when you pull them out of their hives and their colonies, 
start to show, start to show this anxiety. God didn't create you to do this alone. We're often the most discouraged when we're the most connected. Worship's not the pre-show. It's not what you tolerate while you're on the coffee line. We're glad you get coffee. It's there for you. But let's start making worship a priority. Let's get in the house and let's worship together. Let's unpack the tool. Let's unpack the weapon of worship. And I'm just telling you, I believe with all my heart that marriages can change. You say, it sounds magical. I'm just telling you, because God can change your heart to worship. God can change your heart to your spouse or God can change your spouse's heart to you or God can just radically change a marriage. God can transform your kid's life through worship. God can change a church through worship. I believe if you get a group of people, because what is worship? Worship is focusing on that he's worth it. All of a sudden, we don't just see us together. We see there is a God who loves us, who's in this, who's fighting for us, who has a plan and a purpose that we get to be a part of. And everything he's a part of goes from darkness to light, from disorder to order, from death to life. Come on. And we need that in this house. We need that in this community. We need to in this world and that happens to worship and so you see these guys go through this right and they're not the only ones this idea of of worship is all the way through the bible you find it there's a guy maybe you heard of him david king david is one of the most profound characters in all of scripture he was the king of the nation of israel and you don't have to know his story because most of us come on lawrence berger shows most of us if we know nothing else about this guy david we know the story of when he slayed the giant David and Goliath, that's this guy. And you, like, you gotta ask, like, what was the secret to his success? What made him such a great king? I'm glad you ask. <laughs> because when you follow his life, what David understands and what he discovers is what makes him a winner in life, what makes him a great king is not that he's just a great leader, not that he's just a great warrior, but he's a great worshiper. He wrote most of the Psalms, which were songs, which means we're reading, we're reading lyrics. You got to understand that was written with a beat and a melody. He was a worshiper. Everybody say worshiper, which he understood something. It wasn't about his sling and it wasn't about the size of his army. It was about the songs he was willing to sing to engage God in his battle. Come on, somebody. That's who David was. He was a worshiper. There's another king in the Old Testament. His name is King Jehoshaphat. It's a crazy story, right? God is, has his hand on this group of people called the nation of Judah. They were a break off from the nation of Israel. And everything's going really well. And all of a sudden, there's three different other people groups that want to wage war against King Jehoshaphat in the nation of Judah. And he freaks out. And he goes and he falls on his face and he's like, God, what are we gonna do? Three nations are coming against us. We don't stand a chance. And in that moment of being on his face, God speaks to him and makes a promise of victory. There's no, there's no presence of victory. There's just a promise of victory, which means nothing's really changed yet. God is just saying, I'm gonna give you victory against these three nations that are coming against you. And Jehoshaphat gets up and he gets Pentecostal. He starts speaking in tongues. He starts lifting his hand. He grabs a glory banner. Come on, some of you are old school. He starts running laps. And the Bible tells us that all of the nation breaks out and prays with him. They're all like, yeah, why? It's just a promise. See, worship is recognizing who God is and what God said. And so they get ready to go into battle. I'm gonna read just one verse out of this, but I want you to see how they arrange the advancement of their troops to go into battle, all based on a promise. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21 says this, 
After consulting the people, the king, watch this, appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Now see, if, if you don't buy what I'm selling today, if you were in charge of this army, probably like me, I, like we need the Navy SEALs up front. Like we need the Marines up front. Like we need the big, like what's the biggest guns we have? We need some samurai warriors. We need some ninjas. We need some women with some bad attitudes. <laughs> I got to get y'all somehow. Like we got to put some warriors on the front. We're going into battle. He said, no, how we're going to win this battle isn't through, come on, what David said, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but I trust in the name of my God. It's not in our physical strength. It's not in the weight of our military might. It is in the power of worship. And he put the worshipers out front and you can read the rest of the story. I won't give it away, but I'm just going to tell you, they won. <laughs> worship is a weapon. Everybody say that. Worship is a weapon. Say it to somebody next to you. Worship is a weapon. Lawrenceburg, say it. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. Stop showing up here and just watching screens. Stop showing up here and just, and just saying words. Stop showing up. Stop showing up and just sing lyrics and don't even just declare truth. Deploy the weapon and watch what doors open and watch what chains break. Watch what victories happen. All because you decided to stop focusing just on you and your darkness and your prison and your season and you decided to see God's goodness and God's promises. You can't worry and worship at the same time. I dare you, try it. You can't focus on your problem and his praises at the same time, you can't do it. Try it. You can't grumble about your life and declare his greatness at the same time, you can't do it. Try it. See, what worship does is worship reignites our faith. See, when we see difficult challenges and issues and struggles and sickness and death and hurt and pain, when you watch Fox News and you watch CNN, all it does is suck the life out of you. What does worship do? It redirects our focus. It redirects our focus and ignites our faith. All of a sudden, man, we just start to believe that God is good, that God is with us, that God is fighting through us. And man, I'm telling you, when that happens, faith unlocks something in the realm of the spirit through the power of worship. We're gonna go into worship in just a minute. I want you to stand your feet. I wanna read one more scripture to you. I wanna just read one more scripture. It's found in James chapter one. And I want us together at all of our campuses, I want us to read this verse out loud on the count of three. Everybody read it together. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Is that not the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard in your life? because everything God does is contrary to the way this world operates. Here's what this verse is saying. When you're going through a tough time, when you're in prison, when you're in a season of darkness, when you're in pain, get ready. The point of the verse is God can take the most difficult seasons of your life and use them to build your faith. Because it doesn't take faith to trust God when all the bills are paid. You don't need faith when everybody's healthy. You don't need faith when you just got a raise and a promotion. You don't need faith. You need faith when you just got a doctor's report you don't like. You need faith when the marriage is upside down. You need faith when your kids are in rebellion. You need faith when the economy's upside down. You need faith when the bills aren't paid. Come on, is everybody here? So God is saying in your darkest times, I want you to know this is an opportunity for your faith to really grow, for you to trust that God is good. But it's better than that. Because his point is this isn't even about you. What you need to know, what I need to know is in our darkest moments, God is working. God's up to something. God is the X factor. 
So when you go through a tough time, when you're in prison, when your marriage is struggling, when you're, when you're in a place you didn't think you'd get in, when you're in an addiction, when you lost a baby, when your marriage is about to break up, when you're in the most tough time of your life, you need to open your mouth and change the direction of your life with the declaration of your lips by focusing on who he is because he's worth it and God will respond back and do what only God can do. I'm just curious who in this house, who watching this believes that God can do something through worship. So let's put it to the test. I already got a testimony, first service. Walking out of this, someone sent me a message and said, God broke chains off my, fl- off my life this morning. We're not gonna sing some songs. We're not gonna watch screens. We're not gonna declare, declare truths. Our worship team's gonna lead us in all of our campuses. And we're gonna deploy the weapon of worship. So Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for the gift of worship. I pray, Lord, that we would begin to utilize it, God, just in the goodness of who you are, just to sing just to declare, just to move, even if it makes us uncomfortable. But Father, I pray, God, that you'll refocus our faith, God, that you'll reignite our faith. And God, I pray breakthrough moments, not just this morning, but every time we gather, every time in our car, our shower, every time we worship, God, I pray, show up and bring a breakthrough in our life. In Jesus' name, come on, let's sing together, church.